The only monster here is the gambling monster that has enslaved your mother. I call him Gamblor, and it's time to snatch your mother from his neon I mean, what do you think we're doing out here in the middle of the desert? The FanDuel Kick of Destiny, live on the Super Bowl, 10 million on the line. Only from America. What are the odds of our gods of a cosmic gods of your parents even have odds of that later on the night of the internet? The odds of you being you with one in 250 million. So what is life? The chance in every moment in it. Betting on betting on the power temperature. Betting on whether empty really means betting on the couple buttons. Betting on your friends. Betting on game day. Betting on the Betting on your own. Betting on the web. Every moment in life is a bet. Everyone gets a free bet. Bet on America's FanDuel. Make every moment. Brent, I don't think they know their own name. When Folks, you're right, here's a rarity. The group took the right kids a win. 48% of the time. I hereby declare Miami to be Smooth Jimmy's luck of the week. In the Cincinnati-Miami game, I declare Cincinnati to be my shoe-in of the week. Did you know we have preseason over-under win totals? Under 70. I'll take Penn Cincinnati State in the over. Did you know we have those at our disposal right now? Yes, we do. Of course, the setup. I've actually got four bets I already like. Something has been approved by the government. It's no longer immoral. I'm building a casino. I could tighten my stranglehold in my dismal town. All this money. This is the end result. It's all been arranged just for us to get your money. That's the truth about Las Vegas. We're the only winners. The players don't stand it. College Football Podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn, joined, as always, by co-host Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, we've got uh, a bit of a different thing this week. Uh, I would say actually a pretty significantly different thing this week uh, in what we're doing. This was going to be our gambling podcast for the year, which we have done the last two years where we pick win totals, basically. Um, it's still going to be a gambling podcast, but... We are, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. Uh, but before we do that, how are you? How's it going? I'm good, dude. I'm good. I'm living. Um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. I, I think we're deciding to like not give people their slop. Yeah. Um, which is, which is good. I think it's nice to like kind of reframe, uh, it's kind of reframe the way we view gambling because like, frankly, I know you and I have bitched before about, like basically just how common the gambling conversation is now in college football, yeah. specifically on the broadcast, everything else. And it's just become, I mean, it's become exhausting. And I think like, look, we do it because I think there is, we have done it in the past. I should say there is like some useful level to like look at team win totals. And obviously Vegas is one of the most predictive things of team success in college football, which has its own instructiveness to it, but we're both kind of fucking tired of it. Right. Like yeah. it just, it's not ending. There's not a, a line in the sand. It's only getting more extreme. And it's just, it fucking sucks. It's boring and it's tiring. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about kind of the latest news that has really uh, kind of launched us into this. I went uh, I went pretty nuts last night and, and today on, on researching a bunch of stuff about pretty much how we got to where we are with 
gambling in college football, gambling in sports. Um, and I want to talk through all of that uh, and, and about what's, what started all that research. But before we do that, uh, we probably should do advertisements for our two sponsors, neither of which are gambling companies, and I don't think uh, will be gambling companies anytime soon, would be my guess. Um, first things first, of course, Meet at Midfield, which is our website, meetatmidfield.com. Um, premium posts, premium podcasts, premium message board, all good stuff over there. Um, we have, I just wrote a, a pretty long thing about realignment. Um, you have Pac-12 previews going up this week. The message board yeah. continues to be good. It's good over there. It's good. We're, uh, we're very excited. The, the season is, is coming. The college football has tried its best to put, um, <laughs> and to hamper on the season coming, but we are still excited about football and it, it seems like the people over there are also excited. It's a, it's a really fun time to be on the website. Yeah, man, it's really good right now. And I think you can really see stuff kicking off. Like, I think we're fortunate that we have one of the lower end drop-offs to our offseason content. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think just the kind of fans we cultivated, which a lot of you guys listening to this, are people who care about college football year-round, which is why you're listening to a podcast about like the influence of gambling in college football, why you guys probably listen to, you know, thoughts on broader realignment and and what that means. Um, and I mean it's certainly good for us to be kind of get involved in these. And, um, and and I'm happy we're talking about this stuff. And I think I'm happy that our fans are as engaged with it as we want them to be. Um, so as long as we keep this stuff going, I think we're in a good spot. And uh, it's a good time to be on the board, especially since it kicks off. And a lot of discussion of, of like you said, the previews coming up, the Pac-12 previews are fully underway. Um, we already had the ACC and Big 12 come out. You've done all the G5 conferences. Um, the independent preview, I think, dropped a couple weeks ago too, right? Yeah. We have that done. Yeah, last week. It, it does not include week, yeah. does not include Notre Dame, which I do not recognize. It's, I don't recognize Notre Dame sovereignty. Um, also, yeah, I guess I'll have to write about I, that. Well, Did they piss me the fuck off today. I what's that? They pissed me off today with them pushing for the ACC to uh, to get Stanford. Do you see this news? Oh no, <laughs> I had not seen this. What do they do? Because it's not like. Why does the ACC keep listening to these motherfuckers? They're not going to do it. They're not actually no. going to do it. They're just going to. They're just going to. Have you and... watched Barry? Do you know the show Barry? I'm no of it. I've not seen it. There's a scene where he's talking to his at the time girlfriend about one of her enemies and says he's basically going to like isolate her and drive her insane, like steal her dog, and sure. basically just make her feel crazy, right? You know the way like most men like to do. Yeah. Uh, and kind of a guide. Kind of a think... guidebook show. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the Big Ten should do to do Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be taking all of their rivals. I want every team that's ever played more than 15 games against Notre Dame in the Big Ten and just isolate them completely. If, uh-huh. if you don't want to do the Big Ten, you, want, you think you're better than us, yeah. we don't want you to enjoy college football. I want the college football experience to be miserable for you. Yeah. Hey, Notre- you should play Wake Forest. Yeah. yeah, Notre Dame, who are you texting? What are you doing? Who are you texting right now, Notre Dame? What are you? Let me see. Let me see your fucking phone. What are you doing? <laughs> I want to claim <laughs> my tits. Like, Bring me your tits. <laughs> <laughs> we're treating them like Alice and Bree in room uh-huh. uh, where, where she's locked into a shed for like five to 10 years. Yeah. I think that's the way Notre Dame should be treated in football. Fuck these guys. Fuck off. Yeah. I'm putting Notre Dame up on the, on the high rise during a very windy practice. I'm making them film it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Notre Dame, I would imagine will be previewed on our website at some point because Ohio state does play them this year, but uh, I'm not doing it. Not my problem. Uh, but the independent preview is up. There's all sorts of stuff over there. It's a good place. Go to meetmidfield.com. 
Um, also sponsoring us is, of course, Homefield Apparel, which is somehow still with us, despite all we have done to try and sever that partnership with the things that we say on this podcast. Um, homefieldapparel.com. If you use the code Meet at Midfield, you can get 15% off your first purchase, and you'd be purchasing, you know, a shirt, maybe a sweatshirt, maybe some pants, a dad hat. Uh, they've got all sorts of stuff over there, and all of it is high-quality collegiate vintage apparel. They just dropped uh, collections that would relate, I think, probably to a majority of the people who, maybe not a majority, a decent chunk of the people who listen to this show, which are Ohio State and Michigan fans. Both of those schools got new collections. Both of those collections are very good. Um, the, yep. uh, the the Was it the UTEP collection as well uh, that dropped last week was also very good. There's another one coming this week. Uh, Kent State that looked awesome. Those are the ones that I really like, but there's stuff over there for everybody. Uh, go to Home Field Apparel and use the code Meet in Field for 15% off your first purchase. Um, Ryan, anything else before we get into this? No, well, actually, I do. I just speaking of Home Field, uh, I told this anecdote on the podcast with Kevin yesterday, but I thought you would appreciate it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't listen to our Ohio State content for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so I figured uh, I'd share it here too. Uh, Friday night, I'm back in New York City, first of all. I'm back in the city. Uh, Friday night, I was pregame before going out with my, my roommate, Steve. And uh, his girlfriend is Australian. Uh, you know, she is from the forbidden continent of Australia. Um, and me and the boys were making her watch um, hype videos and highlight plays for the 2012 college football season Great before season. going out, which is yeah. something we love to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that she does not have any college football gear in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve played D3, D3 ball. He's like a softly affiliated Rutgers fan and kind of a softly affiliated Pitt fan, doesn't really care about you know any team. So um, I decided the best course of action, given how much home field gear I have uh, already for myself, you know, both from what I purchased and from them sponsoring us is that I should use this home field drop to buy them some gear. Yeah. So I have, I basically have a group of Australians getting geared up for Buckeye football this season. <laughs> um, we're unleashing a terrible new play in the world. I'm spreading the gospel down under. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. That's that's awesome. That is very good. That's a natural fit, I think, culture-wise, with the, the sort of the island of criminals and the university of criminals. So I think that that'll be really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Home Food Apparel, uh, go over there. They endorse everything that we say on this podcast, and they always will. Um, all right. Let's talk about, real quick, some news uh, that has launched this uh, this episode, which is basically a look at kind of the history of sports gambling and what got us to the point that we are now. Um, the news that came out yesterday uh, via an ESPN press room release uh, is that ESPN is launching something called ESPN Bet in an agreement with Penn Entertainment. So Penn Entertainment, for those of you who don't know, is it's like a, it's a casino, basically. It's a, it's a gambling outlet, um, a very, very large gambling outlet that uh, most recently and most famously has had a uh, a pretty successful seemingly partnership with Barstool Sports. Um, this is the same idea, essentially. This is ESPN just taking that idea. I believe they're buying up that book, um, if I'm remembering correctly. The, uh, the, the release says here starts with ESPN Today announced an agreement with Penn Entertainment to launch ESPN Bet, a branded sports book for fans in the United States. Penn Entertainment will rebrand its current sports book, which I believe is the Barstool sports, sports book, and relaunch as ESPN Bet, effective this fall in the 16 legalized betting states where Penn Entertainment is licensed. Uh, the rebrand includes the mobile app website and mobile website. Um, so basically, this is ESPN launching a book, right? This is, that's, that's pretty much what this is, is ESPN getting in on gambling, which 
it has done for a long time content-wise, but it had not formally done before as actually letting you bet at a at a at an app or, an, or a website that says ESPN that has the ESPN logo. This is kind of the the newest step for them. Yeah, I guess the one distinction here is that they're and maybe it's without a difference, but is that they're not getting direct like revenue off of the book itself, right? It is a licensing fee, so they're getting paid up front for it. Yeah. But I am obviously fairly certain that an ESPN bet branded platform, uh, I'm I'm sure the full details are going to involve some equity or going to involve some kickbacks on, on, on certain percentages of this. I can't imagine they're doing this just a one-time payment fee. They don't seem that stupid, even for being ESPN. Yeah. Um, which means this is going to be relentlessly pushed on their platforms, which I, I think you had a great feel at this point out. I can kind of let you take the floor on this stuff, but like, ESPN not only like, you know, it airs most of the college football coverage, including all the stuff around the playoff, all the playoff rankings, um, you know, a ton of like recruiting stuff, it, yeah. you know, it helps push the narrative to control basically where teams play in college football and shapes conference realignment. They're now going to be pushing all of the gambling around the teams they cover for the sport they've helped shape and basically totally control. It's, it's a disgusting and ridiculous, like, you know, it, it, conflict of interest basically and yeah and, and just this like they're just in bed with themselves and it's very disgusting i don't know i i really hate it like i hate how much we've already seen from their announcing teams their coverage like implicitly winking at gambling and sometimes now covering it more explicitly yeah. uh and now it's just only getting worse and worse by the year and it's just gonna be all of this is yeah and uh yeah like you said i cannot imagine that this is actually going to just be a one-time fee that there are not things within this contract that would benefit espn and even if there aren't financial things um betting gambling in general is a huge deal for television networks for outlets that air football basketball soccer hockey baseball whatever any sporting event because the idea is this gives you you know if you are betting if you are gambling on these games it gives you more reason to watch closely these games to watch more games to have your eyes on the tv which is the thing that espn cares about a whole lot because then they can sell ads they can sell ads for more money um they can also of course sell ads for this which it says in this release essentially that they're going to be doing um espn bet will become espn's exclusive sports book uh and pen entertainment which just real quick espn should not have a sports book espn should not have an exclusive sports book it's a journalism outlet um and pen entertainment will receive odds attribution promotional services include inclusive of digital product integrations which means sponsored content uh traditional media and content in- integrations which means that they're going to do it on tv too um, and ESPN talent access, among other services that collectively generate maximum fan awareness of ESPN bet. That is a hilarious way to say that we're going to advertise our sports book on ESPN. Um, that is so many words to say this is going to be advertised all the fucking time on everything that you engage with that ESPN produces. All of it. It will all be trying to funnel you into this book. Every time you watch a game, Every time you watch a studio show, if for some reason you decide to do that, um, every time you are on the app, the ESPN app, every time you read an ESPN story, all of it will go back to the book, which it, it is already basically doing. They had deals, I'm sure, with gambling companies to funnel, you know, views in a certain direction. They would use the the odds from only one site or whatever. But this is this is a new thing for them. This is an exclusive. Uh, this is licensed. This is the one that they're going to do. They have picked one. This is what they're going to do. 
Um, and then it, it says later on here, and this is really the last thing in this that I think is um, worth <laughs> worth noting uh, in, in, a, in a pretty contradictory manner, I would say. It says, in concert with Penn Entertainment's comprehensive responsible gambling programming, ESPN will use its platforms to educate sports fans on responsible gaming, including but not limited to, mm-hmm. and the first bullet here is continuing ESPN's high standard of journalistic integrity when covering the sports betting space. I don't know that that's necessarily how I would describe what ESPN has been doing. I don't know that that's, I don't know that I would describe uh, their journalistic integrity as high at this point. Um, like you said, in college football specifically, ESPN pretty much is the governing body for the sport. Like, gets to decide how things happen and where teams are playing and um, how much they're making, how much each conference is making. Like, this is ESPN pretty much gets to just run the sport. Um, and it's not all that different in any other major sports. There are sports that don't have the major deals with ESPN, the NFL obviously being one. Um, but ESPN and, and the NBA have, have, I believe, long been in bed. Um, they have very, 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 very expensive deals, very significant deals with these leagues and major stakes in them, in controlling them, in directing them. Um, you cannot have journalistic integrity when that is the case. It can't happen. It can't be under the under the one company on its own. Just on that, just on that front. Um, and then you also add in sports betting. You also add in a book that they are now advertising and everything that they do. I mean, this is like I don't know how this shit isn't illegal. I don't know how you can do this. Like, how it it? <laughs> how can you report on it? How is this allowed? It's obscene. It really is obscene, man. I mean, I really do hate it. Uh, I don't know what to say about it. It just, like, I don't think we should be allowed to have any kind of basically advertisement of gambling. Yeah, um, I'm not really a puritan of this stuff in any way, shape, or form, to say the least. Like, I, I there are very few things in life that I think not to be permitted. Um, I, I just like. I would put gambling in the same level as like pharmaceuticals on social ills, which should not be allowed to be advertised yeah. um, or like nicotine. It's like like yeah. it, it, I say, as I'm hitting a vape during our, our, our podcast, but like, yeah. th- like this stuff is not, <laughs> it, it is addictive. Like even aside from like the social ill, like what it does people's lives financially, like just if you only care about the sport, like just the sport itself being shaped entirely around gambling discourse, around more of that, around these guys putting out their own narrative to certain players to juice, which you know will happen. You already is happening that like a lot of outlets already have like their arms where they're essentially using the reporting from companies they partner with to juice certain odds and benefit they never know will hit to get more people to buy on them to just take free money from these fucking morons, which will only happen worse and worse, the much larger platform than anything else in the world. Yeah. With ESPN. Uh, it's already going to happen, right? And and then like you're going to have more of it, I think. Whenever you get to, when you get to the point where like, I don't know, my brain just turned off for a second. But like this is this is basically going to keep getting worse. I think you're going to have a real problem where uh, it's going to lead to like tampering in games too. Maybe I'm being dramatic, yeah. but like I think we're going to see a rise in tampering in games you haven't seen since like fucking shoeless Joe Jackson and the White Sox. Yeah, uh, there's just too much money involved for this not to happen. It's it's hard to uh, imagine that it wouldn't, or that it hasn't already been happening and will continue to happen. It's it's hard to. I mean, when you see, and and this is a different thing entirely, and something that we could probably talk about at some point uh, down down the line. When you see like a lot of athletes being suspended for gambling, like a lot, 
a lot of athletes in the past year in every sport. They're all having this happen where they're having guys getting suspended for gambling on other games on team facilities or gambling on their own games or having their parents gamble on games. Um, it's kind of it's kind of hard to think that that wouldn't impact the integrity of the game, right? You, <laughs> it seems like that's a sort of a, a conflict of interest there when you have athletes betting on these games, when you have presumably coaches betting on these games, when you have people with a whole lot of money betting on these games who have connections to these athletes, when you have NIL that, that is then tied into people who are betting on these fucking games. It seems like it's kind of hard to not have that happen. I, I mean, like that was the, for a long time, and we're going to, we're going to talk about this in pretty great detail. Um, that was the moral panic that kept this from happening: is that it would ruin the integrity of the game. That was the that was the the stated, uh, you know, feeling of these leagues of all these leagues was well, no, that wouldn't work because then the league wouldn't be you know <laughs> real anymore; it would be staged. Um, and uh, they've just, everybody's just given up on that. It doesn't it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, it's very depressing. I'm I'm just. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, it seems inevitable, right? It seems like this is the shit they do constantly. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I know you and I like, came to different agreements, basically, on what realignment looks like. But, like, just the, the increased, like, commercialization of gambling and sports just feels like such an obvious no-no that's only going to get... Like, we've already seen so many players, so many different leagues gambling. Uh, first start out, oh, they're just gambling other sports, not a big deal. But okay, well, they're gambling other sports in the team locker rooms. Then all of a sudden they're gambling on their own sports, their own games, like yeah. at the amateur levels and having people hide them so they can get away with it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's going to only get worse and people are going to get smarter about how to try to hide it. But it's going to happen. Like, it's going to keep happening. And the only way to do this is completely sever all the relationships between gambling and sports. But they're never going to do that. There's too much money involved. They're not going to, they're not going to go back. So let's talk about how we got here. Um, before we can really talk about the current state of sports gambling, like really talk about it and, and how we got here and college football gambling specifically, um, we need to go pretty far back in time to 1949. Uh, we're in Nevada, and as part of a newly passed sweeping reform centered largely around creating much stricter gaming licensing requirements, um, paramutual wagering on horse racing has been legalized, discarding a 1915 act that barred it. Now, Ryan, what is that? What is paramutual wagering? Yeah, so paramutual wagering or, or betting or pool betting is a betting system basically in which all bets of particular type are placed together in a pool. Taxes and the house take or the vig, the vigorish for full, which no one calls that, something the vig, right, mm -hmm. are deducted and payoff odds are calculated by sharing the pool among all winning bets so there was something else about this bill that was interesting um and that relates to the situation that we find ourselves in this 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 the main bill itself is not really related to what we're talking about but unlike that 1915 bill that it was basically overriding um the the 1914 the 1949 edition didn't have anything to say about bookmaking nothing uh, it, it just says you have to have a license 
um, it was mainly about licensing. It was mainly about establishing things that, that would then, you know, casinos would have to have to operate. Um, the Reno Gazette Journal reported on this on July 1st of 1949. There wasn't a ton of reporting on it uh, because it wasn't explicitly said. It just wasn't said at all. Uh, this was a bit after the bill had been approved, writing that uh, in discarding the 1915 Act, the 1949 legislature apparently left the way open for bookmaking. The 1915 Act expressly banned bookmaking and prohibited furnishing of information to pool rooms or to their agents. Uh, the 1949 Act makes no mention of bookmaking. Yeah, so basically what this did is made legal was already happy under the table, right? The places where this stuff was happening to happen were called turf clubs, yep. which is basically just another name for a horse track, sure. So they were now legally allowed to arrange these big races and accept wagers on them, but they could now also take wagers on sports. Um, this was Nevada basically laying its kids in a French drink, but only where it could see them, right? If you want to do it, you have to do it underneath my roof. Yeah. It's kind of the policy. And you're going to have to pay me also for licensing fees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to pay yeah, me a mom licensing and, Mom and dad are taking a commission yeah. basically on the liquor bottles they're buying for you. That's baller. <laughs> that would be... That would be a really it's funny way. So Grind said, we do support that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so why did this happen? The short answer is really the only one that you need to know, and this is going to be a really common theme throughout this. Um, the state needed money. It had to find about a million dollars more than the governor had asked for in his budget, and it was open to just about anything that could do that. Um, there was a lot of talk of tax increases, many of which were established, not as many as were proposed. Um, but there was also the introduction of State Senate Bill 146, which you don't really need to know. But uh, it, it defined the powers of the State Tax Commission to regulate gambling and accomplished the goal of bringing in some money. Yeah, I brought in a shit ton of money, but I just some money. Um, yeah. The law stated basically the bookmakers could take a maximum commission of 12% from the gross amount of money handed for these deals, uh, handled rather, uh, but it also stated that one-sixth of that commission had to go to the state general fund. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like much, but when you add it in with the licensing fees, it comes out to about uh, just under $1.4 million that first year for the state, as reported by the Treasury on January 10th, 1950 which is an all-time high. Yeah, and and the equivalent for this basically is like is kind of something like what we're seeing now with um, like cannabis sales, where, yeah. where cannabis sales in Colorado, for example, a certain percentage is explicitly dedicated towards education, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this went back into that then that budget, which helped them cover what they needed to cover. Um, this was like an all-time high for the state of Nevada, like you said, which is a state that I would say has... A pretty high bar for that, even coming into this. Gambling had been legal in Nevada for a while, um, but this was this was a big deal. This was a really big deal. This was a large amount of money. That it doesn't sound like as much money now because, you know, we're living quite a bit later than this. Um, One point four million dollars then was a lot of fucking money, and it caught the attention of several other states. Um, but it also caught the attention of President Harry Truman, who said in February that. Um, February of 1950, that is, that World War II had been followed by, quote, a resurgence of underworld forces living on vice and greed. Um, this was not really specific. Which to, we love. Yeah, that's a great quote. <laughs> this was not specific to Nevada, um, which was actually somewhat immune here because gambling wasn't against the law there. It was the only state where that was true. Uh, but it implicated a lot of people with pretty strong connections to Nevada as the Senate backed an investigation into rackets of all kinds less than a month later. Yeah, and, and there were also anti-gambling bills crabbing up around this time. 
But the big news of April 1950 was a big Senate hearing that included three men who were described as having wide influence over illegal bookmaking and gambling. Uh, it was oddsmaker James J. Carroll, Frank Costello. You may know that name if you follow <laughs> the history of the mafia. Uh, he was known as the nation's number one gangster. Uh, and Frank Erickson, um, who's kind of was split the difference between the two and kind of was the maybe sort of the official unofficial go-between between uh, the mafia, which was obviously bankrolling these casinos and the casinos themselves. These guys didn't say jack shit. They didn't say anything. They, they, this... Nothing. They said jack shit. Uh, Carroll testified that he didn't know anything about a nationwide uh, gambling or crime syndicate. Uh, Costello said that he, quote, wasn't qualified or equipped to give the Senate any information. And uh, Ryan, I'm actually going to have you read this quote from him in what you think is a heavy Italian accent, as was described Mm. by the Reno Gazette Journal on April 27th, 1950. Um, And I'm going to read for Senator Ernest McFarland from Arizona, who is the chairman of this committee. At the present time, I'm not qualified. Why? Maybe I don't know about it. I might have been sort of a betting commissioner 15 years ago. It's a sort of book banking. <laughs> he doesn't know. He might know, but he doesn't know. Um, so <laughs> last up uh, on this was Erickson. He was sort of the, he was the third to go. He was uh, described on several occasions by the AP as a pudgy-faced gambler. I don't know why they were so not, mean to him. Not to have a paper <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they were so mean to him. Um, this one is my favorite. He spent basically the entire session saying that questions about his his business infringed on his constitutional rights. Um, the AP story goes it goes on to describe a scene a little later on that I have to read from. Um, it says, quote, Erickson and his attorney took seats at the witness table. A roll of fat bulged over Erickson's coat collar, and he spoke in a squeaky voice that could be heard only a few feet away. Erickson explained that he had a cold and couldn't speak any louder. Well, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. They're basically doing like the Donald Trump, Barney Frank, like nipples protruding yeah. his blue shirt. Yeah. Really disgusting on the Senate floor. That's pretty much exactly what they're doing. They're calling him the Chris Christie of his day. Yeah, the, this fat piece of shit didn't have anything to say. He just, he, he showed up and said that he was sick and made it so that no one could hear him when he talked. And then when they could hear him, he said that they were infringing on his constitutional rights. That's awesome. Um, He's so, a real one for that. Yeah, so all all three of these got nothing, nothing to say at all. This doesn't really, I don't really know what the point of this was, why these guys would ever uh, say anything other than nothing. Um, but all the same, this comes to a head in 1951. Um, the feds agreed to put a 10% gross receipts tax on gambling pools in May of that year. Um, which most directly impacts Nevada, but also includes illegal gambling, um, which was kind of meant to sort of sniff those deals out, uh, which I cannot imagine ever actually worked. But it it, it was created for basically the, the purpose of hurting Nevada so much that it dissuaded other states from doing the same thing that Nevada had done, which was gam- which was legalizing gambling. Um, this was really, really, really bad news for gambling. I mean, that is like, that's a that's a really big tax. That's an unprecedented tax on gambling. Yeah, it caused a huge decline and also keeps sports betting out of bigger casinos. And it pretty much just stays a turf club deal as a result of this, which is which is actually Jimmy the Greek, whose name I'm sure a lot of uh, our style of fan knows, uh, made his money in the 1950s. And the hits kept coming. Um, Nevada adjusted to make this work as best it could, which basically just meant that a lot of these turf club bookmakers would... 
um, they would take bets and then they would write like R next to the numbers, which meant that it was actually a bet for 10 times more of the money than they listed it uh, to get mm. around the 10% tax, which seems like maybe not in the spirit of the thing. <laughs> um, but uh, Nevada tried to adjust. Nevada tried they to... Actually, they actually wrote that R to describe uh, uh-huh. the better. <laughs> yeah, they did that as well. Um, yeah, they called it a hard R bet. Um, but uh, <laughs> so Nevada also, as a state, legally tried to negotiate and, and, and get around this and try to come to a deal. Uh, but the feds delivered another blow in 1961 with the Federal Wire Act, uh, which prohibits the use of wire communications for interstate sports gambling. Um, this one is actually still in effect, which is important because it is pretty much the reason that sports gambling is under the purview of states and not the federal government. Um, we, we're we're going to need to remember that. That'll be important again later on. Yeah, yeah. And just to build off of that, what you just said there, the next decade is mostly about Nevada working with the feds to clean up its act, uh, pretty much in hopes of getting that tax either removed or or significantly cut down. Um, They introduced the Nevada Gaming Control Board uh, and spent a whole lot of time and money lobbying and eventually get their breakthrough. Let's talk about Howard Cannon, Ryan. Do you know anything about Howard Cannon? Uh, That's my dentist, I believe. Okay, so born in St. George, Utah, (laughs) which is the really, really crazy part of Utah, um, Cannon is an utterly bizarre figure in American politics. Um, He was the second Mormon elected to the Senate in a state other than Utah, which I mentioned largely because this guy is from, like, Mormon royalty. Uh, his dad, Walter, was one of 31 children of David Cannon, who was the brother of George... so baller, dude. <laughs> who was the brother of George Q. Cannon. Um, I need to talk Being about... Being the Sean Kemp of, like, the Mormons is, is fucking sick. Yeah, it's really cool. I need to talk about George. Um, George lived as a teen uh, with his aunt and uncle, uh, Leonora and John Taylor, the latter of whom accompanied Joseph Smith to Carthage Jail, where he was killed. He deserved it. Uh, George was asked personally by Brigham Young a few years later to serve as a missionary in California, uh, which he did for a few months before being shipped out for four years to what was then the Kingdom of Hawaii. Um, He even worked to translate the Book of Mormon into Hawaiian. He was one of the two guys who did that, uh, which I'm sure serves a lot of use now. Uh, He was eventually named an apostle in 1860 at 33 years old, shipped out again, this time to preside over the church's mission to Europe. Um, He came back to help fight for Utah statehood in 1862, left again, and eventually became the managing editor of the Deseret News in 1867, which is a role he held until 1874. Yeah, you guys may know this right news from like a link you click on accidentally, which seems to mostly just be like, it's kind of like MSN news links, but for, mm-hmm. <laughs> like for random shit about college football, they have something for everything, but it's actually always just like either AI written or aggregated, very bizarre thing. Also, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to imagine why Mormon church should catch on in Europe, which is about Jesus being American, basically. Yeah. Hard, hard to imagine why that one didn't work out. Yes, yeah, so it's it's hard to know. So this is a busy guy. Um, he was elected to be the non-voting delegate for Utah Territory in the Congress in 1872. Uh, he filled that role for 10 years while also serving as a member of the church's first presidency, which is like their big, yeah. it's their big group, uh, starting yeah, in 1873. A lot of folks were calling Utah kind of the Puerto Rico of the 1800s. So that was being said a lot. I'm still calling 
calling it that. Um, <laughs> his uh, his stint in Congress came to a pretty abrupt end. I say abrupt. It wasn't that abrupt, but uh, came to an end in 1882 after a long fight relating to a contested 1880 election that he won handily. I mean, it was not even close. He was very popular. Uh, but that was called into question because of both his being born in England and also his six wives with whom he fathered 33 children. <laughs> New high score. <laughs> yeah, he beat his uh, he beat his fucking brother. Um, the fight brought uh, national attention to Utah and led directly to the passing of the Edmonds Act, which actually sent him to prison for six months in 1888. Um, one of his sons, Frank J. Cannon, was then the first senator from Utah. Well, you should probably clarify too for people who don't live in Utah, unlike you, you freak, is that the Edmonds Act is uh-huh. the anti-polygamy act, basically. Yeah. Um, that is that is what that it means. You can't have multiple spouses. Um, anything else this guy? Uh, BYU's touchdown cannon is named after him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the good news is they won't be uh, they won't be ringing that one or firing that cannon very often this year. Yeah, yeah um, there you go. But <laughs> so so Howard Cannon, his former royalty, retired from the military as a major general with a Purple Heart and a Silver Star, elected as a Democratic senator from Nevada in 1958, where he remained until 1983. Uh, when he was a mesh in a Teamsters bribery scandal and lost the general election. What's up with this guy? Another cannon. Uh, you pretty much got it. So this is one of the descendants of not our prolific George, but of his slightly less prolific brothers. Uh, he, was a, he was a grandson. Um, cannon was, for most of his career, a pretty standard Western Democrat for the time. He was big on transportation in the military, did a lot with you know oil, uh, not much for taxes or regulation. Uh, voted for the Civil Rights Act. Good for him, I guess. Uh, but he was mostly just around for like the first decade of his tenure, just kind of being there. He wasn't really doing much. Um, the only thing that we really care about with this guy is the very busy year he had in 1974, um, by which point he had been named as chair of the Senate Rules Committee. Yeah, I don't let you cook here because this guy really, he really got after in 1974. This guy was making, he was making money moves, as we said. Yeah, and and uh, those of you who are up on history and up on the Senate Rules Committee, you might be making some logical leaps about where this is heading, but I I need you to stick with me. Uh, starting in January, when he was he was included uh, along with uh, Attorney General Robert List on a panel reviewing the national policy towards gambling. Uh, This policy was, the national policy was pretty much exclusively against, as we have established. Yeah, uh, but Cannon wasn't, though, for pretty obvious reasons, given where he was elected from in Nevada. Uh, Mm -hmm. He wanted that 10% tax gone. He did a lot to hammer away at it and make sure that came off the books. Before he could really do that, though, he had some work to do, like a lot. Uh, Let me run down the list. In March of 1974, he said that the spirit of the country was at its lowest point since the Great Depression. Um, In May, he called for the release of federal data on the effects of viewing television violence. In June, he opposed a bill requiring all new radios costing more than $15 to have both AM and FM signals. Uh, In August, he publicly urged Richard Nixon to sign into law a bill he crafted that would impose the death penalty against airplane hijackers who took innocent lives. Um, He's calling that kind of a pre-9-11. He kind of had some prohibitions there. What's up with that? Why do you care about airplane hijackers? Is it a D.B. Cooper thing? I don't really really know. The quote from him, I don't have the quote, but it was basically the effect of like, 
Um, we recognize that air, that airplane security has made hijacking basically a non-factor, which mm, mm, maybe not. Um, <laughs> oh. But uh, I still want to have the law anyway, just as a precaution, uh, which is a very funny way to install the death penalty for something, just as a precaution. Yeah, I'm sure like Boeing just like declined a contract in Nevada or something. That's why. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure there's some some money well, based yeah, reason Bo- for this. Boeing hey, Boeing yeah. loves airplane hijackers. They really want you to do that with their planes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I'm. Not thinking this through whatever keep going uh so while he did all of this he also presided over hearings on vice presidential nominations for gerald ford uh and nelson rockefeller and he set the stage for a senate impeachment trial of richard nixon this is all hilarious it's great to know this guy's background that he mm-hmm. played this big of a figure basically in american politics but let's get back to the gambling what about that he did that too uh, he sure did, basically. He, he drafted a bill that would have cut the tax completely, but that was largely expected to get bumped up to 1% or 2% as a compromise. Uh, the Senate approved the bill as a full cut, and then a committee approved an amendment for good in September that would cut the 10% tax down to 2%. Uh, it wasn't everything the bookmakers in Nevada wanted, but it was more than enough to open the floodgates. So Jackie Gowan, I think I pronounced that correctly, mm-hmm. uh, opened the first sports book inside a casino at the Union Pizza um, which, uh, they say is actually the parent company of Comet Pizza. Yeah, uh, that was in 1975. Uh, Frank Lefty Rosenthal it's the template for a sports book at the Stardust a year later, and that was pretty much that. Um, the tax was lowered even further to 025 percent in 1983. I believe that Frank Lefty Rosenthal was also the inspiration for uh, Ace Rothstein. I, I I believe that I'm right on that. It's uh, in in of course, the movie Casino, which I did watch in preparation for this episode. Great flick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google that right now. I'm going <laughs> to say that that's true that. because their names sound pretty similar. Um, that's yeah, all great. Here. Uh, while uh, you while you do that real quick. He, he is. He is. Okay, cool. Clarify. Yeah. Uh, while you do that real quick, I have some more dumb shit that is not uh, important for what we're talking about here. Uh, that okay. August vote of Senate approval came down like three hours after North Swanson, who's the owner of the Reno Turf Club and an extremely committed proponent of removing the tax and spent like a decade fighting it uh was subpoenaed after agents found 272 illegal bet slips hmm. um this is a good time for a little story for me here because uh, <laughs> i'm going to tell something that is past the statute of limitations here mm-hmm. uh <laughs> but my grandfather in pittsburgh and the italian side of my family uh was somehow involved as like a low-level bookie for the mob and my mother recalls a night when she was like six or seven years old, uh, where they used to basically what happens, they took the bet slips, they would write all of them on rice paper at the time. This was in the 70s, probably before the stuff was passed and you know, made it a lot easier to do. Um, they would all write it down the bets on, on, on rice paper. So if the cops came, you could both easily flush it and get it down the water. Uh, but also so you could eat it if you had to. You didn't have time to flush everything. Yeah. So there was a night where the cops did come knocking at my grand my granddad's house, my mom was there. Uh, and her brother and her had to uh, eat the rice paper bed slips to destroy the evidence. Uh, the other the other slips they had like duplicates located somewhere else, but to destroy the evidence, the cops didn't arrest them. Oh my god, the American so, the American that's a, that's a spirit. real story in my family. The American yeah. spirit is is indomitable. You cannot you cannot take it out of these people. They will do it forever, no matter what. The American spirit lives on. So we're going to pick back up here in the early 1990s. Um, a lot has happened since we left off, but but not that not that much in the world of sports betting. 
Uh, Jimmy the Greek was hired by CBS to provide some game predictions back. And later fired for being horribly racist. Sure, he wasn't really racist fired for that, yeah. But he only did game score predictions because the NFL didn't allow its TV partners to discuss point totals. That's another thing that we're going to remember as we keep moving along here. Yeah. Uh, the next really big shift in this comes in 1991 with a Senate panel meeting on June 26th. Uh, Paul Tagliabue, commissioner of the NFL, uh, Faye Vincent of the MLB, and David Stern of the NBA all testified in favor of House and Senate bills would prohibit states from establishing any legalized gambling, including lotteries, would be based on a professional or amateur sports event. Yeah, so basically the, Sorry. The, the context here is that some states had been doing lotteries uh, around, kind of based around sports. I didn't really understand how these work, so I didn't really include it, but it is worth, that is what kind of sparked this, is that these, these commissioners were not super pleased about their teams or their leagues being affiliated with any kind of gambling at all. Um, I have a quote here from Vincent. He said, uh, the legalization of team sports betting by any state or municipality would increase the chances that that, per that persons gambling on games will attempt to influence the outcome of those games. High rollers have high incentive to induce players to fix games or to shave runs or points. Um, I wouldn't really disagree with that assessment. That's basically what we said earlier. Yeah, it also comes to the light of the Pete Rose stuff and quite a bit. I mean, yeah. things. I think that was pricing the national mood. Um, do you think we can get a sample cleared here for some of like the action Bronson lyrics about fixing games in college football? Because those are fantastic. Um, um, I don't think I need to even ask Action Bronson. <laughs> I think I can just do that. I don't think he's has. I don't yeah. think he's got he shit the one to say about, about me. Fixing the game between Grambling and, and who? I fixed the game between Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. Uh, I, could, I, I used to remember all this. I was, used to be a big Action Bronson fan. I was like 19. I love that. Um, I love that. I'm anyway. going to post a picture of Action uh, Bronson just with the caption B1G underscore Ryan. That's coming up for me. So true. <laughs> I, I will not tell an incriminating story about that. Uh, I'll say that one for private. I will not have that in the air. You actually used um, to be Action Bronson. It's it's a title that's passed on. It's like the, the Dread Dude, I swear, I swear to fucking God, this happened the same Friday night we were showing the highlight clips. I was talking about the, the Australian woman uh -huh. in 2012 football. I went to a bar uh, in the West Village, and a guy while well, I was with my friends walked up to me and asked me if I was actually watching. <laughs> Which well, is fucking insane. You know what I look like. I am a bald man with yeah. a beard and West tattoos. Well, I do not look anything like actual. I'm tired of being racially stereotyped yeah. and profiled as an Albanian rapper. Le I, I don't like any Albanians. Legally, <laughs> if you are Action Bronson, you have to tell us or it's entrapment. <laughs> Dude, he's a pretty cool guy. We would get him with, I bet he would be fine on the show. Yeah. Um, anyway, not only would we not disagree with that assessment, the feds did not disagree with that assessment. Uh, from Vincent about kind of the influence of high rollers on on games and shape, point shaving and the like. Yeah. Um, basically, with some serious crying from a serious army of lobbyists paid by these leagues, the feds agreed with them. Um, after a pretty nasty and long fight, which is all but over when the Senate voted 88 to 5 in its favor, George H.W. Bush, uh, you may know him of killing uh, JFK fame, mm -hmm. uh, signed Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, written by Senator Dennis uh, DeConcini and co-sponsored most notably by Orrin Hatch and Bill Bradley. Bill, Orrin Hatch is, god damn. He's a million years old. Bill Bradley also played in the NBA, notably. Um, yeah. He was kind of the face of this, but he didn't actually, uh, contrary to common belief, didn't write the bill. Uh, his name was on it, though, for a while. It was considered the Bradley Act for a long time. Um, How long did Orrin Hatch serve? I'll look this up really quick, sorry. Also, he was born in Homestead, PA. He was born... 
like in inner city Pittsburgh. That's fucking crazy. That's wild. Um, I, I have to imagine that when he was born there, it was not inner city Pittsburgh. It was like the middle of nowhere. It was just, yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, Homestead PA, it was, it was like, it was steel town at that point in time. Yeah. He, uh, but he, he, was... he started the Senate in 1977 and was there until 2019. Good God. He was born into like a like a, a big old stack of hay in the middle of a field. That was where Horan Ash was born. That was where everybody used to be born <laughs> until like 1955. Um, so in effect, this outlawed sports betting in every state but Nevada, which was the only one that had laws in place to protect it, um, as has long been the case <laughs> in this story. Uh, for the next two decades or so, uh, even a little bit longer than that, this is the law of the land. This was a big deal. Yeah. However, before we talk about uh, what changed, basically, we should talk about the Unlawful Internet Gambling Act of 2006. I would love to do that. What is that? So for the letter of the law, this is an act written by House Republican Jim Leach and signed the law by George W. Bush, the one who's not known for killing Kennedy, mm-hmm. in October 2006, that prohibits any person engaged in the business of betting from knowingly accepting credit, electronic fund transfers, checks, or any other payment involving a financial institution to settle unlawful internet gambling debts. In the simplest terms, this was the most sweeping and overt response the government took against online gambling. Which was, for about a decade prior, really big in America. It was a really big deal. Um, This is probably where people listening will start to remember some of the stuff that we're talking about. The key time frame here is the late It's also, by the way, it's always great when we do that 50 minutes to the podcast. Yeah. Well, listen, you got to get some introduction. You got to get about 40 (laughs) years worth of introduction. Um, The key time frame here is the late 90s. And the key name to know is Planet Poker, which I'm sure some of you listening do know. You probably were on Planet Poker if you're of a certain age. Um, Again, this is just another just, you know, B1G Ryan family story, but my mm-hmm. cousin, uh, who is named TJ, but was nicknamed T-Rex, being famously cheap, uh-huh. uh, won about $15,000 on an online poker tournament. Uh, and then the, the reason he, the nickname stuck around is that he still refused to pay for dinner uh, after winning that prize. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the kind of story that really made this blow up, is, is stories like T-Rex's. Um, this site was on the cutting edge of uh, introducing online gambling and specifically internet poker into the mainstream. This was a big cultural thing. Um, and a big part of that was that you would see these these online-only tournaments or these people who got into these major, major high-payout poker tournaments from playing online, from playing low-money online poker. Um, I think there was a guy, I don't remember the guy's name, famously, there was a guy who, who was in like a $40 pool and took it all the way to like $250,000 payout. Um, this was this was really, really popular. Um, it doesn't really matter a ton, but I think basically the way this worked legally, I, I did a lot of reading on this and didn't really get a great understanding of it, um, was through a combination of op- offshore accounting and vagueness in the U.S. legislation that was written well before the internet and could be worked around by some creative lawyers and we love creative lawyers uh the point is gambling was now easily accessible for people with some computer skills and even sometimes for free because planet poker and other sites like it really wanted to get people in the door if this sounds familiar it's because gambling companies are still doing this basically the same even the same way uh with these free bet promotions that you see all over the place where you get like a 300 bonus when you sign up it's the same idea yeah Exactly. It is happening a little bit less now as they get bigger because, of course, they want to raise the profit incentives. They don't give you free money forever. They want you to be addicted first, but we'll get into that soon. Yeah, Um, so as this poker boom is happening, the the federals realize 
pretty quickly that they need to close some loopholes or that they need to try to. Um, Representative Robert Good Latte? It can't be Good He loves coffee. He loves coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I had only written the man's name. I hadn't read it before. Robert Good Latte introduces the Delicious Internet Gambling uh, Prohibition Act in May of 1999, Mm -hmm. um, which had pretty significant support and backing and seemed to be moving forward. Um, It had passed the Senate, was expected to do the same comfortably in the House. Like He was giving quotes about his passing about this being done um this was very bad news for the people involved with these online gambling schemes uh and one of the involved companies one of the smaller involved companies was called e-lottery um they did something about it around the same time that the bill cropped up they retrained the services of preston gates and ellis the lobbying firm of their lead man on this case jack abramoff now ryan i hardly even know abram i don't really think i want to do that to him Come on. Uh, we can easily do an entire show on Jack Abramoff and not just on the bits about that name. Yeah, but we could do the bits too. Do you know about this guy? Or you're you're familiar with this name, right? I know a bit a good bit about him from, from some Senate hearings that are not great for him or for his history, but why don't you tell people about them? So this is a real piece of work, I would say. He had, uh, at this point, been established as a man with very significant influence in Washington, specifically among conservative circles. He had been like a young conservative. He had been, he was kind of their star child. They really liked this guy. Um, he joined Citizens for America in 1985, which existed to drum up support for the Contras, the Mujahideen, um, UNITA, and... The great any, fighters of the Mujahideen. The yeah, of course, <laughs> and any other evil causes that they could find, basically. It was it was actually Abramoff who organized the Jamboree in Jamba, which was a conference in celebration and support of all of these aforementioned evil causes. Um and actually, from that grew the International Freedom Foundation, which Abramoff founded. Yeah, the IFF did a whole bunch of shit, but mainly it, it broke as many financing laws as it could, yeah. excepting funding from apartheid South Africa, uh, which Abramoff then used that money and a bunch of other people's money to produce Red Scorpion and Red Scorpion 2. Good flicks? Uh, I can't say I'm super familiar with Red Scorpion 2, the sequel. Uh-huh. However, the original, the Dolph Lundgren one, I, I think Dolph Lundgren's both them, but Dolph Lundgren stars the original. Um, it is one of the funniest movies of all time. I mean, yeah. I, to put it simply, it is it is fucking hilarious. Um, I, I would highly recommend watching it. Uh, just for the sheer enjoyment factor. So after producing Red Scorpion and Red Scorpion 2, he landed at Preston Gates and Ellis a few years later, um, where he took on a bunch of lobbying gigs fighting for basically deregulation and legalized gambling. He did a lot of work with casinos. Um, That was really what put him on E-Lottery's radar and what landed him at the center of this bill in 1999. Um, He spent a shitload of cash, uh, other people's cash, not his, uh, lobbied pretty much anybody he could get his hands on and in july of 2000 he successfully killed this bill it was done yeah with that out of the way the poker room also poker boom rather than poker room although i'm sure that was happening mm-hmm. uh grew even larger in 2006 which brings us back to the unlawful internet gambling act it had the support need to pass this time and it prohibited almost all online gambling gambling are putting a lot of these companies out of business also something i think maybe just a note is just in ESPN's involvement, and we may get into this a little bit here, but you recall how hard they were pushing the World Series of Poker on ESPN. 
uh, as I'm sure there was some of involvement with these companies from them. I don't think it's a coincidence and should not be overlooked, like in the context of what we're going to talk about here in the modern day. Yeah, so that was sort of part of the poker boom was around the early 2000s, and this was still a little bit before my time, but I have seen plenty of culture that references it. Um, ESPN showed a lot of poker. Like it was be- that became was not really part of ESPN's programming before the early 2000s, and then it suddenly was a really big part of ESPN's programming, which does make you think like, how long have they been doing basically this? And I would guess it extends even even further than that. Um, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a fair point. That was a, that was a pretty big part of the broadcasting for those guys. Big time. That guy with the dinosaur glasses, big deal. Uh, the movie Rounders, in the late nineties, for a big yeah. part. Um, uh, Pay that man his money. Uh, line. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do the accent at all, but I think you're um, prob- I think you probably got it. So anyway. This this bill, this Unlawful Internet Gambling Act, uh, had an interesting little quirk in it. In in section 5,362, too many sections, it detailed the definitions of what the law applied to. Um, this included a lot of little details, but the one that we need to focus on is the first one, which is the definition of bet or wager. Uh, there are five subheads here, plus eight more subheads for one of those subheads, and five subheads below those subheads. Uh, let's roll through some of these. The term bet or wager. A means the staking or risking by any person of something of value upon the outcome of a contest of others, a sporting event, or a game subject to chance upon an agreement or understanding the person or another person will receive something of value in the event of a certain outcome. B. Includes the purchase of a chance or opportunity to win a lottery or other prize, which opportunity to win is predominantly subject to chance. It includes any scheme of a type described in section 3702 of Title 28, which includes any instructions or information pertaining to the establishment or movement of funds by the better or customer in, to, or from an account with the business of betting or wagering, and E does not include. All right, pause. All we really need to know from all this is that you can't risk anything of value on the outcome of a contest of others, a sporting event, or a game subject to chance upon an agreement or understanding that the person or another person will receive something of value in the event of a certain outcome. You can't bet online. You can't do it. It's illegal. No more games of chance. No more sports betting with offshore books. None of it. It's illegal. You can't do it. Um, What you can do, though, is outlined in eight subheads beneath E. Almost all of these are not our problem. We don't care about these. This law doesn't include any stock market or security shit. It doesn't include contracts, insurance, or banking. None of that is really our concern. Our problem is the big VIII, any participation in a fantasy or simulation sports game, an educational game, or a contest that... I is not dependent solely on the outcome of a single sporting event or non-participants' singular individual performance in any single sporting event. I.I. has an outcome that reflects the relative knowledge of the participants or their skill at physical reaction or physical manipulation, but not chance. And in the case of a fantasy or simulation sports game, has an outcome that is determined predominantly by accumulated statistical results of sporting events, including any non-participants' individual performances in such sporting events, and... Three, or so I, 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 rather, I just use numbers here, mm-hmm. uh, offers a prize or reward to a participant that is established in advance of the game 
or contest and is not determined by the number of participants or the amount of any fees paid by those participants. All right, so there's the ballgame. Tacked on at the very end of a bill that was already tacked on to another bill, the feds have just declared that fantasy football is legal. Um, you can play it. You can put money on it. You can do whatever you want, wherever you want with fantasy sports. If it's a game of skill, which this bill declares fantasy sports to be, uh, it's not included as a better wager. This law does To clarify, not... it's a game of skill when I win, and it's a chance when I don't. Yeah, so this law doesn't prohibit it as long as you win. Um, <laughs> they snuck it in there. Uh, at the very end of a bill that was related to basically something else entirely. And that is really what puts us on to the path that brings us to our current situation. We're on to the home stretch now, and to get there, we need to go to New Jersey, unfortunately. Um, outside of Nevada, this is probably the state with the most interest in legalized gambling for the longest time, um, and it became a pretty major project for a little guy named Governor Chris Christie after he took office in 2010, just a small, normal Not size so guy. Not so little guy. Like... Um, he, uh, he took up the cause of trying to revitalize Atlantic City within the first few months of his term. Um, and eventually, after several years of kind of cajoling, he uh, agreed to fight for legalized gambling in the courts, which would be related to Atlantic City, um, which he had actually initially rejected quite a few times because he didn't really think it could be done. He didn't think that it would get through the courts. Um, the first step in this process came in 2011, when New Jersey voted in favor of a referendum that would, in theory, permit sports gambling. Yeah, I think what happened is that Christie saw the Sopranos episode where Tony takes the uh, the, the helicopter and almost gets pushed into it mm-hmm. um, by, uh, what's his name, the, the ponytail guy? I forget his name. Um, Hard to say. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, Flor- uh, Florio. Okay. No. <laughs> what's, what is it? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Florio. Florio is the name, isn't it? Sure. I don't know. Sure. Not important. Not important. Anyway, the referendum was swatted away before it could really do anything. But it was the start of a really long, really boring battle in the courts between Jersey and opponents of legalized gambling, which at the time still included basically every major sports league and the Department of Justice. Um, it's so easy to get bogged down in these cases, but we want to get right to the heart of this. We don't have to spend any more time talking about legal proceedings. Yeah, so the gist of this is that Christie changed his mind and committed in September of 2014 to support a bill that would effectively make sports gambling legal within certain establishments in the state. So you could do it in person. Um, The leagues, so the four major leagues plus the NCAA, uh, sued the state as they had successfully done in 2012 and got a 9-3 ruling in their favor in August of 2016. Right, and Christie for the first time in his entire life, uh, for the only time really, I showed some endurance here. (laughs) The language in that second ruling had been pretty loose. So Christie combined his case with another case in the state uh, and New Jersey petitioned to the Supreme Court. And on June 27th, 2017, Supreme Court accepted that case. Yeah, the case was filed originally as Christie versus the National Collegiate Athletic Association, which is what the other case was against um, and that they combined with. Uh, It was renamed Murphy versus the NCAA when Christie left office and Phil Murphy took over. You've probably seen Murphy versus NCAA before. Um, The operative question here was... 
does a federal statute that prohibits modification or repeal of state law prohibitions on private conduct impermissibly commandeer the regulatory power of capital S states? We're always asking that, Patrick. I'm always asking um, this. Yeah. The Supreme Court, which is at this point all about states' rights, rolled 7-2 to two in December of 2018 that one specific clause of PAPSA uh, did commandeer power from the states to regulate their own gambling industries and thus was unconstitutional. Pat, I'm going to have you do your best Samuel Alito voice here, which I'm sure you have a great one, uh-huh. because this is what he wrote in the majority opinion. Yeah, I've definitely heard him talk before. Um Congress can regulate sports gambling directly, but if it elects not to do so, each state is free to act on its own. Our job is to interpret the law Congress has enacted and decide whether it is consistent with the Constitution. PASPA is not. They then looked at whether that specific clause was severable, and six judges decided it was, declaring the law unconstitutional, which means the door is open. Yeah, so before we get to de- to today, I want to talk real quick about why this happened, um, not just that it happened. Uh, there's a really big story package I would recommend. I'm, I'm going to link to it in the in the description as well as a bunch of other stories that I've used for research for this. Uh, but there's a big story package from the New York Times that came out last year that details a lot of this stuff and, and a lot of the recent efforts. Um, we're going to reference as we move forward here, but I think this issue can be made pretty cut and dry, uh, more than the New York Times does, if you don't waste a bunch of time pretending that everyone involved with American politics isn't horribly corrupt. Um, this was about money. This was just about money. Yeah, specifically, this is about the money of companies like FanDuel, DraftKings, and a whole bunch of others involved with the gambling lobby, right? They discovered after that 2006 ruling that the money fountain of daily fantasy sports or dfs i think our audience knows what these are but for those of you who don't this is basically the closest thing you can get to betting on specific games at the time it used the fantasy sports formula where you draft a team and limit it to daily results either in head-to-head matchups or much larger pools um there were different levels of higher stakes it was a much faster paced version of fantasy sports and it was you know kind of pretty importantly here legal to play on your phone yeah, these were huge. I'm I'm sure you guys remember all of the ads for this stuff. These were even recently, there were a bunch of ads for this shit um, when it really hit the mainstream. Some of these companies picked up massive investments in this. This was a big money game. Some big names uh, in sports installed a DFS system of their own. I think CBS had one, um, and Yahoo as well. And in 2013, the MLB kind of broke the dam here by investing in DraftKings. Uh, the the money I don't believe has ever been disclosed on that amount. I would guess it was a lot. Uh, similar deals with the other major leagues were not far behind, as they all seemingly recognized at basically the same time just how much money this shit brings in, and decided that they wanted to be a part of the cash train. They had their hands out. They said, "Okay, let us in." Um, at this point, fantasy sports were just about accepted and embraced by the leagues that were still at uh, to to this point to this time um, fighting further legalization efforts in court. Yeah, they're they're pretty much half-assing it, though, at this point, right? I mean, the gambling lobby threw so much money around. By the time it was ready to make its play, there just wasn't all that much opposition left that had not already been looped into the bracket. Yeah, the play was, as we alluded to earlier with the 2006 bill, to essentially argue that sports wagering was a game of skill, just like fantasy sports. Um, it wasn't a huge leap. It's it's not. You can understand how you could argue that. Um, and they had the support of pretty much everybody they needed support from. Um, public opinion had also shifted significantly, as you 
can certainly tell if you look around. Um, the lobbyists had done their jobs and then some, um, and the leagues were, like I said, ready to cash in, uh, just like everybody else. Sports gambling's legality was left up to the states, and the states wanted in. Yeah, and, and basically what they did, Patrick, is they looked at guys like us, and they said, look, these guys know too much ball. Yeah. Um, they do have an advantage. They're too smart. Uh, their bitch is too bad. They smoke too much loud. They can't stop us. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I smit that on a necklace. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, Five years later, we're here. There are 35 states. Actually, there are only 50 states, a lot of states. Mm-hmm. Currently taking bets in some form, including 21 with full mobile betting, four with limited mobile betting, and 10 allow betting, but only in person. A lot of these states have more allowances still to come, and more states currently without legality are about to have it, like Kentucky, Maine, North Carolina, Nebraska, and Vermont. Uh, Massachusetts, Ohio, and Tennessee just got on board this year. Uh, it's a massive industry. It's basically only getting bigger by the day. Yeah, for the I think a good place to look for this, this is not all-encompassing, um, but for the Super Bowl this past year, GeoComply, which is the company that verifies the locations where gamblers are betting, they pretty much have involvement in all of this. I would guess they're raking in a lot of money. Uh, they saw one of... Yeah, like Garmin, Garmin, fuck up the back here. How is Garmin not doing this? Like yeah. All these companies that made the early GPS stuff, you guys are fucking up the bag. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, but they saw 100 million sports betting transactions on Super Bowl weekend. Um 100 million in America. The Gaming Association projected that Americans would wager roughly $16 billion on that weekend alone. Um, With very few laws in place in most states, these gambling companies are bringing in huge chunks of cash. I mean, it's, it's largely not taxed. Most of these are not taxed, and if they are, it's barely taxed. Um, the, the deals are very, very favorable in pretty much every state. Um, so these companies are bringing in this massive influx of cash and they're using it to, uh, pepper you with ads in pretty much every place that they can possibly do it. Yeah. I mean, podcasts, television ads, social media, sponsored content, company affiliated media wings, deals with specific teams and leagues. Everything that can be advertised on is being advertised on. It is, they are taking up all of the airspace, all the brain space they possibly can. And, and I mean, you guys know this, right? It's so visible everywhere you go. Yeah. This is what we're bitching about, right? It's everywhere you go. You cannot stop seeing it. And I, I think really shamefully, college athletics are also on board. Um, you have certainly seen, read, and heard more than your fair share of gambling content around college football and basketball. Um, but there are universities cutting these deals, too, I think much to the, the dismay of some fans of these schools. Um, Michigan State had and might still have, I don't know, a deal with Caesars, as did LSU. Um, Colorado did one and picked up an extra $30 every time someone downloaded the company's app and used a promotional code to place a bet. This is a university. This is a a public university. Um, There are athletic departments and booster groups doing deals of their own. I mean, Ryan, this is fucking everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's shameful, right? There used to be like a a pretty, like pretty significant line in the sand where, you know, it was for a long time. It was alcohol and and nicotine that universities would never associate with by everything else. Like, you could take Coca-Cola or whatever on, but you would never take certain kind of vices on. Yeah. But I think gambling has crossed that line. And I wonder, I mean, like at this point, you know, obviously we have beers in college stadiums that I don't really care about, but how far away is like just regular alcohol, you know, how, how far away is a Smirnoff ad associated with Colorado for taking my gambling companies, right? Who cares? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, why would that be any, any worse than this? I would say this is much more damaging. 
Yeah, it, it just keeps going, right? Like there are significant outlets covering college athletics. They're either bought and paid for by these companies or outright owned by them. The newest one that basically inspired this episode between Penn and ESPN had through some Barstool. Uh, which has built its entire model around encouraging its audience to gamble and later encouraged them to gamble at a barstool, you know, themed and, and branded sports book. Yeah. Uh, that's the plan now for Worldwide Leader, which has billion dollar deals to leagues. It is now allowing people to bet on through its app and with its name. Yeah. So on Penn, real quick, I do want to actually read a little bit from one of these stories in the New York Times package um, because they did a story last year. Uh, with a headline, Desperate for Growth, Aging Casino Company Embraced Degenerate Gambler, which is a very funny headline. Great um, headline, yeah. So it starts here. Uh, years before, this is also just a great lead. Shout out to Emily Steele, who wrote this story and seemingly uh, did a pretty good job with it. Years before he became a controversy courting media icon, gambling promoter, liquor pitchman, and pizza reviewer David S. Portnoy was drowning in debts. He, owned, he owed $59,000 to credit card companies and $18,000 to his father. In one year alone, he lost $30,000 gambling, court documents show. In January of 2004, the 26-year-old filed for bankruptcy protection. Ryan, 26 years old, this man had $59,000 in, in credit card debt and lost $30,000 gambling. That is, that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. It's obscene. It's absolutely obscene. I mean, that that is a guy who has a clear addiction. There's no other way around it. Yeah, and he he is really, as you'll sort of see throughout this story, I, I this is like he's like an archetypal dumb guy. This is like a dumb guy who existed in like mythology. It's he's always existed. The spirit of dumb guys throughout history exists in Dave Portnoy. He he is a world historic dumb guy. Um, nearly two decades later, it continues, Mr. Portnoy rarely, if ever, mentioned the bankruptcy. Yet he and his company, Barstool Sports, are urging their tens of millions of followers to dive into the fast-growing and lightly regulated world of online sports betting. Um, it provides a little bit of context here for Barstool that I don't think people listening to this really need. It adds a little bit of context on Dave as well about just sort of some of the really bad things that he has said, included uh, one of my favorites here. It says he wouldn't remove photos showing a toddler's penis from his blog. That's cool. Pretty good. Until mm. police showed up at his door. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll stop. Um, I, I think people know that this you know, just the things that he does, the evil kind of man that he is. Um and of course, today, Mr. Portnoy's reach is greater than ever. The publicly traded casino company Penn Entertainment is poised to take over Barstool following a 2020 deal in which it bought a 36% stake. Mr. Portnoy has been catapulted into the role of public spokesman for the sports betting industry. I would say real quick, just right here, not where you want him to be. You do not want Dave Portnoy to be your public spokesman for anything. Um, The self-described degenerate gambler uses that perch to regale his followers with his betting exploits and cajole them to join him. From the moment th- from the moment that's that the Supreme Court opened the door to legalize sports gambling in 2018, businesses and governments have been racing to secure slices of what some analysts predict could be a $240 or $240 billion a year market. I would guess that that is maybe even conservative. Um, companies are shelling out hundreds of million dollars on ads and promotions to lure customers. States are vying to offer the lowest tax rates. Mr. Portnoy's rapid rise is one of the most vivid manifestations of the frenzy, according to a New York Times investigation based on thousands of pages of court filings, financial documents, and communications obtained through open records requests, along with interviews with dozens and current uh, dozens of current and former Barstool and Penn employees and state regulators. So, 
like I said, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but um, this guy's like openly a moron. This is like, like I was saying, world historic stupid guy who is the face of gambling for what I believe is the largest gambling company in the world. It's, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is a, it is a good reflection, like the story says, of this massive, you know, explosion in gambling. And it's also a good reflection of the people who are doing this, the people who are running this. They're, uh, on top of being completely incompetent, just immoral and, and, and really awful people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so depressing, like, seeing the dipshits involved in this, seeing dipshits the dipshits involved partner with, like, just seeing all the names getting thrown into this and, like, how cynical all of it is. And, and like, just knowing it comes from a place of the most annoying and intolerable guys of all time um, you know, kind of starting this and then winning and then getting even richer than ever off of it. Like it's, I guess like the one saving grace of this is that uh, because, you know, Penn uh, dropped Barstool, he had, to, he had to buy his way back in for hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. but it sucks more that he has hundreds of millions of dollars to spend to buy his own company back. Yeah. Like it's, the shit just sucks, dude. I don't know. It just is depressing that he's involved in side of the company. Yeah. It, it says here as well, it says, instead of flooding the airwaves with advertisements, uh, Penn Entertainment's play was to slap Barstool's brand onto a new online sports betting platform, as well as brick and mortar casinos. Far from being turned off by Mr. Portnoy's behavior, Penn executives sought to harness his notoriety to woo a new generation of gamblers. So pretty much what they're doing, I referenced Casino earlier. They are doing what Ace Rothstein did in the back half of that movie, where he he's going on TV and saying a bunch of ridiculous shit and getting in trouble. They're doing that on purpose. They are, they are purposefully putting this, this, <laughs> this guy as the face of gambling as the, as the face of sports gambling. And it, I, it has worked. Like you said, they won. <laughs> it was successful. And there's just going to be more of these guys. There's just going to be more of these dipshits who are funneling other dipshits into spending all of their money on gambling. Uh, you're going to see them on TV. You already see them on TV. They are everywhere. The sports world is absolutely crawling with these just cockroaches who are, who are, uh, I think really guiding, <laughs> guiding people into like Dave has experienced bankruptcy. Yeah. I mean, and it starts even, you can go way back earlier with like Bill Simmons and his obsession with it. like Bill yeah. Simmons getting page two and talk about gambling was one of the first times that ESPN really seriously took, you know, like covered gambling and had it in its publications. Like Simmons himself being degenerate, who is basically like a liberal version of Portnoy. If you yeah. like, I mean, like they are just a mirror images of each other, but one of them is like less of a dickhead, yeah. uh, mildly so. Um, it's just the origin of all of this. And, and you, I mean, like like anything else, sports media, it all comes out of the head of Bill Simmons, um, which is, is, is so kind of frustrating to see and, and just like how far it's gone. And, it's like only getting worse, right? Like with the size of the gambling companies and how much they make, like what's to stop them from just owning the networks one day? Or like, it's not that hard to see yeah. like where this goes. Like, like why, why can't they just become these conglomerates that own the networks too and own all of the sports coverage and everything you ever loved about sports just geared towards gambling? Like, it's not that hard to see at all. Yeah, it's not like they don't have the money for it. I mean, th- this is this is the money. This is where it's going. <laughs> this is where it's coming from. Um yeah, and and you you already see you know sort of indications of this with gambling overlays on everything on everything you watch. There's a gambling overlay. There's a spread. There's the over under. I think they started putting that if I remember right on the uh, on the the college football just the little score line at the bottom as you'd see the spread. You'd just see the the spread. You'd see the over under. 
you would certainly hear broadcasters talking about it. Matt Berry never shuts the fuck up about gambling. Um, and, of course, they put him on every G5 game because uh, that's why they think people are watching those games. And for some people, that is why they're watching those games. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's probably, they're probably not wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the story continues here. This is especially noxious. Um, industry watchdogs say that Mr. Portnoy, perhaps more than anyone else in the United States, is encouraging recklessness among his legions of followers. That's a yeah, a bold statement. Um, most are young men, a group that researchers have found is at especially high risk of problem gambling. Mr. Portnoy at times mocks the notion of gambling responsibility. He boasts that he typically wagers $25,000 a bet and as much as $500,000. He has encouraged fans to bet their house, kids, family on a single game. He has described gambling as free money and said that it would be reckless to not place a bet. Um, that's awesome. That's really cool. That's uh, <laughs> this is this is what ESPN wants to do. This is what the biggest sports yeah. outlet in the world wants wants uh, wants to be really. And I know they have to read every statement about the hotlines for gambling addiction or like gamble responsibly. But yeah, I mean, like, for how long? Know, At what point right, do they not have long? to do that anymore? <laughs> It's just like there's no, it's all just winking, right? You're fulfilling the legal obligations of what you're doing. Like basically like what sports media is going to become is like a come town blue chew ad, yeah. right? Where it's like, you know, you say the things you have to say legally about the product or whatever, but then like you completely contradict your advertising of it. And they do it in a humorous way for dick pills, I guess. But like, you know, it's just going to become this, the national, like the national level. And I think it is like, I don't know. I hate to sound like a Puritan about this. You know, I'm like, I, I don't care about this from a moral sense. Like, you know, I don't think gambling is inherently wrong or something like that. I think the advertisement of gambling and the way it's being allowed to infect like sports is going to ruin sports discourse, ruin the enjoyment of sports for a lot of people, and basically become omnipresent in a way that I don't think it's ever going back. It's I don't know if it's ever going back in the box, right? Like, there's just so much money involved now. Their profit margins are so massive that they're only going to get better algorithms. They're going to win more and more. They're going to, you know, basically be massive lobbies to make sure no Congress people will ever vote against them. Like, I don't know if we're ever going. I, I hate to like a doomer here, Patrick. But I don't know if we're ever going back. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to uh, save for regulation that is not coming from groups that would not be able to install it anyway or would not do it well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, have, have you ever like? I mean, like. <laughs> talk to like a 22 to 25 year old dude i know like you're in that category i'm just above it uh-huh. of like how many parlays they're placing per week that's the other thing too it's never just like you don't just place a bet straight up on like oh i think ohio state will cover yeah minus four and a half against penn state you're putting a 17 parlay or like if you hit it big you're rich for the week and you blow it all on booze right it's just yeah. like it's always something that ridiculous because that's the gambling culture of places like Barstool, which they're all watching and listening to, you know, the places of like, you know, there's Instagram accounts about memes about this, then have their own, you know, affiliation with the, with the gambling companies. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's a ridiculous over the top culture, encouraging reckless gambling, uh, encouraging consumption of sports only via gambling, you know, betting on like, there's a guy who covers Ohio state with the same Tyler Shoemaker. He's not a bad guy. I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong, but it's like, you know, like tweeting about the WNBA only because he has a he feels like it's an underexploited market or not enough fans gamble on it so the company's like covered smartly yet. Yeah. So if you follow statistical model, you can make like you know seventy percent wins on on WNBA gambling. It's like it, it's just that's all all of this is is like the consumption of sports cynically through, through the lens of gambling. Yeah, and uh, y- y- like you say, the sort of the promotion of reckless gambling. You you can understand why gambling companies would love 
Barstool and would love Dave Portnoy so much is because the whole thing is, yeah, make the stupidest bet that you possibly can. Just throw your money away. It's funny. It's cool to just <laughs> just lose all your money. Yeah, um, it's great to be degenerate. Yeah. Yeah, and this is something that he actually comes by extremely honest uh, here. And I'm going to read a little bit more from this. Story. He is really a loser. He's not. Yeah. I guess the thing is nice, but he's not lying about this. Yeah. He said he was a bankrupt gambling degenerate fucking loser yeah. who lost all of his money. And he wants you to do it too. Yeah, this is the thing. He's not like on TV, you know, just pretending. He's not pretending to to have uh, gotten it out the mud, right? Like he's this is he's he's just a loser. This guy is just an actual straight up loser. It's, it says here, Mr. Portnoy was a lifelong gambler. When he was 11, his father took him to a racetrack, and the boy was hooked. Mr. Portnoy has said that he placed bets with a little league coach who happened to be a bookie at the University of Michigan. Hilarious that he went to University of Michigan, by the way. Um, Mr. Portnoy started a website called TheGamblingMan.com to publish his picks. After graduating, awesome, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, after graduating, it's good SEO. He worked at a market research firm and burned his income on gambling according to his parents quote anybody who thinks that my son is exaggerating his gambling issues i wish he was mr portman's father once said believe me he is a legitimate degenerate um that's not what you want your dad to be saying about you. I guess it is in this case. Um, in 2003, Mr. Portnoy left his job and began handing out his self-published Barstool newspaper to Boston commuters. It was geared toward young men. You could say that. Um, early advertisers included offshore websites where Mr. Portnoy has said he placed bets. At least one, party, PartyPoker.com, operated illegally in the United States. Uh, he was walking a financial type type tightrope, he has said that he created fake advertisements in Barstool to spur rival companies to buy their own ads. Um, I don't think you're allowed to do that. <laughs> Not to... The statute of limitations might be up. I don't think you can do that. Um, he wrote under pseudonyms to make Barstool seem like it had a sizable staff. Months after... That's also what Buckeye Scoop is doing. Um, months after the newspaper's launch, Mr. Portnoy <laughs> filed for bankruptcy. Um... Good. Always good to do that months after the newspaper's launch. Uh, the court filing detailed $30,000 in gambling debt. So, yeah, this guy's just a fucking loser who should probably be uh, several times over in jail. Um, and he's the face of this. This is what it is. This is this is who it is, is Dave Portnoy. Um, and, I, yeah, I think, like you said, it's it's not even just to be a doomer about this, but, like, I don't know how any of this gets... I don't know how any of this gets better, man. I think that this is... You know, I, I was thinking about this last night and when i was first thinking about it i was like oh well that that couldn't be but then i thought about it more and i think it's just objectively the truth um i think that gambling is the thing that has driven even just this most recent batch of conference realignment in college football i think it's the thing that drives pretty much all advertising revenue on television i think it's the thing that's making the money i it doesn't make Nothing else makes sense. I don't know how advertising money could possibly generate that sort of revenue if it was for anything other than this a money extraction service, which is what these things are. Um, well, I push back on that piece. I mean, I mean, not to get deep into like the discussion of like how advertising money works, but like it's, I, I basically wouldn't agree with you on that. Like, I mean, like, like the marketing companies for the the marketing branches rather for these companies are all very profitable and like brand exposure, these things does make a big difference in revenue long-term and customer retention and, and customer acquisition. Like the, the money does make sense. Like these firms is, is, you know, dog shit is capitalism is a concept. Like individual investors lose money. Like capitalism as a concept, the idea of advertising is a proven thing. We just know the money works on. 
Yeah. Um, well, but, a big but part, regardless, a bi- yeah. regardless, a big part of it is coming from this. And I think yes. that a big part of this yes. is what is shifting <laughs> the way that these sports work. I mean, you think about, yeah, what would bring in the most the most eyes for gambling? What would bring in the most bets? It's the biggest brands. It's the teams that people know about. It's, it's you know, seeing it on TV that, uh, hey, Matt Berry's, these are his best bets. These are Joey Galloway's best bets. These are fucking Dave Portnoy's best bets on the big game of the week that everybody needs to gamble on. Here's a little Super Bowl that we're going to do 14 times a week and get this massive windfall. And, and, and not just that, they're branded as part of the app, right? Yeah. Like the, I, I know like Pat McAfee has this super bet. With, he's, he was with what, FanDuel for a while. I don't know how that changed him going to ESPN. Probably he's yeah. going to PennBet now, I guess. But like, you know, basically... You could bet in the app, you would see his personal picks recommended for you. And, like they would joke about it on the show. Again, I don't really watch McAfee consistently, but I see his clips on, on Twitter now and then. Like you would see shit on the show where they were talking about, oh, we've lost six weeks in a row, but it's, we're getting this this week. And people would still bet on that. It's branded to you. It's supported <laughs> to bet. Like because there's no like, uh, of course, these guys who are doing gambling coverage or, or on sports media are just like guys like you and I who watch college football, right? Like yeah. they're and probably less than us. Uh, but they're they're not, <laughs> you know, they're they're not like doing statistical models telling you the best odds to win. They're just picking bets they like, and they're probably recommended certain options by the company to do so. And you get a quote unquote super boost for better odds when you pick with them. But like those bets always fucking lose because they're bad bets. Probably the company's identifying like what is our most confident bet this week we think we're going to win money on, and tell them to pick that one. It's probably how exactly how it works. Like. Yeah, you know, of course, I'm just speculating. Here. I don't actually have details, and I can't prove this. But it's, it's hard. I would not be shocked at all. It's hard not to think give... that. Yeah, it's hard of not course. to think that, basically. <laughs> like, look at the win loss records, right? And like, it's just going to be more of this stuff going forward. You're just going to have the old, the branded bet slate, like you said. Of like, what the fuck is Joey Gallon about to make money on gambling? Yeah, you know, like it's, I name dropped uh, that guy in Shoemaker earlier. I, by the way, I'm not calling him out. He's not doing anything. I, I don't think he's a bad guy. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just posting statistical models. Yeah. That's fine. It makes like Bud Elliott does the same thing, right? We like Bud Elliott. Like you can get good at this and, you know, win on your margins for the most part or have a model that means you have, um, have an outcome basically that's likely to, you know, win you based on the VIG. If you, if you win 54% of your bets, you come out basically breaking slightly ahead of even. Um, it's also worth noting there are some states where you pay taxes as if every, it's not like on just your profits based on what you gamble, but the total amount of revenue you bring in via gambling. So you have to win at a margin above the casino or about the taxable rate in some states to be okay. So like most people are going to lose a lot of fucking money at the casinos. If you're gambling any kind of regularity, unless you have a model you're following in a state where the taxes go in your favor, you only pay on profits. Yeah. You are going to lose a lot of fucking money again when you keep doing this. People, you are all of you are going to lose money. Yeah. And that's why they have all the dumb guys with the dumb bets on TV instead of the guys with the models. Because even if you do lose money on the models, which at the end of the day, you probably will because you don't usually make money on gambling in the long term, not usually a sound long term financial investment. Um, but when they put the dumb guys on TV, suddenly you're losing bets or losing even more money. You're also losing that money in taxes. You're also like the, the, the odds are so significantly stacked against you. And now everything that's being advertised in gambling is stacking it further against you. It, it is just, it, it is a system set up for 
everyone involved in it except for the people who own it to fail completely and to uh, have their lives i mean significantly negatively impacted to the point where i mean you you, this shit can this this can ruin your life this has ruined the lives of a lot of people it's not funny it's not like no it's not like a good bit to to place a bunch of stupid bets and lose all your money you will lose the money will be gone you can't make it back. It will go away. Yeah, you won't have and it. I mean, all, all, all of it is. I was like gambling, like even like the season before last, like the 2021 season. I was still gambling pretty regularly. I gambled a lot. Yeah. Um. You know, we had an article on our site about this. And I think for us, the answer. And I'm just kind of decreeing this person. I don't know if you agree with it, but like, I think we should probably discontinue gambling coverage. I don't think you. Yeah. And I should do that. I, I don't think we need to be doing that shit. I don't really get any value out of it. Yeah, um, I don't really. I don't want to be doing it. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. encourage people to do. It's bad. It's bad to do this. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. It's a bad decision. It's not. It's not worth it. It is an addiction. It would be like rec- It would be like getting on here and recommending that you start doing heroin. Like it's not a good idea. Right. You shouldn't do heroin. This is not good for you to do this. And uh, it's less and less people are going to be saying that. It's it, just going to be. This is good. This is smart to do. You'd be losing money not to do this. It's for it's you know it, it, you're just you're just having fun. It's not that serious until and, and like until and it also is. to think about just how good these people are at manipulation. Like the casinos themselves, they were just physical casinos. They were contracting with psychologists and sociologists, or architects to yeah. like design floor plans and design like the shade of their windows to make sure you didn't know what time of day it was or how long you've been in the casino yeah. or where you were at in the casino to keep you inside it for longer, to keep gambling, to keep betting. That was just what was a physical location. They were only making money in Vegas. Imagine how much bigger it is now with the inclusion of all the online, like mobile gambling. Like I, I know there are certain laws and restrictions, like certain, uh, certain States uh, I've read about this. There are like, timers on the app if you spend too long on the app they give you a warning about this but like how long will that last for right yeah. how long will that be around they're going to keep you on that app for longer and longer making more and more ridiculous bets recommending new bets to you you know uh boosted odds all this shit sure. they know yeah. they can beat you they know you're wrong and they're going to beat you more often they're only gonna get better at this regulations will only get worse like, I, I think for us again the only answer is just like i have no interest in gambling any further i don't see myself doing it anytime in the future you know, the only answer is just detachment from this shit and just engaging with sports as sports. Like, I'm sure we'll reference spreads and shit like that because we kind of have to to like have an awareness of like how much team is favored by. Yeah. I know SP Plus does some work of this work, but like it is useful to reference those things, other inclusions based on it's it, a consensus. injury stuff like yeah. that. But like, other than referencing a spread, to talk about like you know how how much a team is favored by. I don't think you or I plan to engage with gambling content going forward. Yeah, and that that is the thing is that you you know you think about all the engineering that went into make, making these casinos. Um, that doesn't just go away on the phone app. It's not like they forget how to do this stuff. They're really good at it, and you have a dopamine box in your pocket. It's the phone is already very good at keeping your attention, and now it is you know now there's an app where. Your favorite podcasts are, your favorite video guys are, your favorite content, all the articles, all of this shit. And then also, here's a button that you can click while you're watching Pat McAfee's video that can follow his bets. It's right there. It's, 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 you know, bright and shiny and it looks like it's fun to click and it makes a nice sound. And it's, it's all just, it's, it's a dopamine machine that is meant to, like I was saying, it's, it just extracts your money. It just drains the money out of you. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't imagine it's going to get, I don't imagine it's going to get any better. And I, I, I don't really know, you know, we, we, I don't really know what the point would even be of, of talking about how this could be fixed because it's not going to happen. I, the, 
the first thing I would want to see, and we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, like you and I are, are on pretty much the same page that like, we don't, I don't think that there should be a lot of things that you can't do like legally. I, I, I think you should be able to do most things that you want to do if it doesn't hurt other people. Right. Um, you probably shouldn't be able to do this on your phone. You probably shouldn't be able to advertise this shit. You probably shouldn't be able to include this in content that is related to the sport that you're like, you, you should have to do this at the casino. If you're going to do it, you should have to do it at the casino. You should have to drive to the casino. The only place where you can see this stuff or where you have to see this stuff. And of course this would never happen, but like, yeah, if you really want to do it that bad, you have to go to the casino. That's it. I, I, I just, it can't be on the phones, man. It just can't. Yeah. I fully agree. And I mean, obviously, you know, this, uh, and I just like the, the part that I feel, that's what I want to happen is to speak off on the phones, basically put this genie back in the bottle, but I just have no expectation that will ever happen. And I, I fear this is just like, this is our first conversation about this in this context. And I fear we're going to have to see it only get worse and worse. So it feels like we've just, we're through looking glass, right? I don't think we're going back. And I just think it's going to become a problem. It's bigger and bigger right the year. And hopefully more focus to this and share this with friends and, um, you know, don't do this shit. Like, I know it's yeah. fun. I, I really do get that. But like, yeah, dopamine is great. That, it like, feels great yeah, to get dopamine. Great. <laughs> it's fun in the same way. Like, doing cocaine is awesome the first few times, and then what happens afterwards, right? Like, then, like all of a sudden, you want to do it every fucking weekend, and you're calling your guy at you know 3 a.m. on a Tuesday because you can't get through your next fucking workday if you don't have it. Like, that's how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's <laughs> it's the same shit coming. What we saw with cocaine in the 80s, it's just, it's just gambling and through that 2020s, but no one's coming to stop it because there's no federal regulators who are going to call it a Schedule One drug. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a good place for us to end this. Um, it's a depressing note, but like, I don't really think you can pump this up. I don't think it can be made good. We're, we're, we're really, like we've said a couple of times, we're really going to try and stay away from this stuff because I, I think we have, we've obviously talked about a lot of gambling things in the past, but as it becomes more and more prevalent and more apparent that this is the thing that everybody's doing now, I just, I, I can't, and I can't really in good conscience do any of this shit. I, it's, it's, I think it's evil. I think it's predatory. I, I just, I, yeah, don't know. So I, I, I hope that something, I hope something breaks and something changes, but like you said, it's, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to see that. 